0: Welcome to People Who Are Politicians. I'm your host, Matt Antonelli. Um, I'm going to release a bunch of episodes together. These are episodes that I've recorded over the last couple of months. Um, And to be honest, I just uh, have been really busy and I haven't edited them uh, for a while. And I'm kind of in this little bit of a crossroads where I'm trying to decide if I want to, you know, join a political party or keep doing being independent or do something more with this podcast and journalism or something so um, but I thought you know I should I should release these episodes because there's an election in a few days and uh, a lot of these people are candidates in this election and you know gave up their time to talk to me and I kind of only really got back into it recently when I did one with Edward Carroll who's a candidate in Miller and then I thought mm, I should probably get back into this because it's I actually really enjoy the podcasting so um, I'll see how I go. I want to get some more episodes, but it's just fine Then fine time to edit So I haven't done a like a deep edit of these episodes. I've just kind of make sure they sound okay And um, I'm gonna just upload them all so there'll be a bunch of episodes that come out at once And I'll probably just use the same intro for all of them So uh, I really hope you enjoy the episode if you do let me know and um, yeah, thanks
1: It's always good to keep um, your mind open, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's do it. Easy.
0: Hello, welcome to People Who Are Politicians. I'm your host, Matt Antonelli, and today I'm joined by Edward Carroll, the Australian Progressive candidate for Miller in the upcoming election. How are you? Very well, Matthew. How are you? Yeah, good. It's been a, you know, a nice morning. Um, how about we start with Miller, the electorate itself. Can you give us a bit of an overview of um, you know, where it is and I guess what it means to you? yeah
1: so miller is uh, it's an el- electorate that covers a lot of those inner southern suburbs in brisbane um so it, it starts on the border of south brisbane you've got annalee and fairfield there and then it extends all the way down to maruka and rockley um and then from west to east you go graceful and shelma over the side there and then it follows the river across all the way over to Tarragindi at the m1 so it's a, it's quite a large electorate and it's um is very very diverse electorate in its its population its demographics
0: all right so um what about uh to you so like as you go around the electorate what kind of vibe do you get from you know the people and you know the i guess the what's the community like yeah
1: um everyone that i've ever known is is always friendly in these areas i mean that's um and because it is such a diverse electorate, I think it's you get that kind of melting pot feel to it, mm-hmm. um, especially in areas like or or Annalee. Um, you know, you've you've got your your slightly more well-to-do suburbs. You know, Tennyson and, and Graceful Jelmer. Um, you know, you're more established suburbs. So you've got that that friendly old world charm to it. And then you've got, you, you're kind of, you up and coming suburbs over on the other side. You know, your Rockley is very much a working class area. So you've got that, that nice rough edge to it, I think really good. And then, you know, Maruka's got this fantastic African community there as well. So I've, 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 everywhere I've gone and, and growing up in the area through through Oxley um, where I grew up and, and having friends in Graceville and Chelmer and Sherwood, um, I've, I've always felt quite at home and quite comfortable talking to anyone. And I think that's a really good thing.
0: And let's talk about, uh, I guess, your involve, like, involvement, in politics. Um, what, uh, what kind of got you enthusiastic about politics or interested in politics mm. initially?
1: Yeah, so I've, I've always been interested in politics. Um, even as a young fella, I mean, I was um, the when you do the, the traditional school trip and uh, growing up in Sydney, that would have been year six for me. Um, so I was uh, eleven years old and you know you you take the trip out to Canberra and you go you do the tour of the museum and everywhere else and then we finally get to Parliament House and and I just loved it I fell in love with the place you know even from then and we do the little mock Parliament where um where you know everyone pretends someone wants to pick to be the opposition leader and the Prime Minister and um but even back then I was the only one that elected to be a, uh, a crossbench independent. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, sitting there at 11 years old and I'm, I'm on the crossbench and then I've, I'm suddenly convincing my friends to, to cross the floor against the parties and join me. And, you know, we got the balance of power. And, uh, you know, I've, I've always loved the, the wheeling and dealing and, and the fact that you can, it can actually have an impact mm. on, on what people do. Um, and then in the last couple of years, you know, I've, I was always interested in politics, but I really didn't become engaged until I, I started to have my family. Um, so my, my older son's two and a half now, um, and it was about the time he was born that I, I started joining the, um, the Australian Progressives, who I'm with now, and very, very quickly I got involved with the leadership team there because I wanted to have an actual say and to help their future, um, and, and and now I'm, I'm on the national executive. I'm, I'm helping to set up the Queensland branch, um, running as a candidate for the first time ever. And it's, you know, that's really setting a world up for them that I can be happy to leave to them is is what's really driving me at the moment.
0: Yeah, well, I guess um, you know, there's also that there's a difference between you know being involved in the party. At a leadership level and as a candidate, so you know what what kind of made you made, made what kind of got you to make that final decision to go right? I'm not just going to help build this new uh, progressive party, but I'm going to, to try and step into uh, into a parliament.
1: Yeah. So the um, we we are still growing. I mean, we're not registered at the state branch yet. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of work that we have to do um, before we get to that level, but the more I talked with people about it inside the party and and outside as we started to get the brand out there, um, the the more people we found not only agreed with what we want to do as as a party for Australian progressives, but were were really excited to have something new and and to actually have something that they could believe in and vote for that that wasn't what we currently have. And so I, I decided to run because it's it's one of the best ways to start getting your name out there as a brand i mean because we're not registered at the state level i am running as an independent um, Mm. but with the party endorsement so i i still have that party's branding on all of my marketing materials people still know i'm i am a progressive candidate and so I, i get the conversations you know what is the party about who are we for what are your policies and there's a lot of people that are starting to actually learn about us now. And I, I think if I hadn't have run for parliament for this, this election, um, you know, we, we wouldn't really have been able to set ourselves up for the future as well.
0: And it's a good, like, uh, I guess it'd be a good run to see, you know, how to actually run a campaign, I guess, because you haven't
1: you know, so, been yeah. be involved in one before. So <laughs> it's... seeing
0: how it all works, I you know, <laughs> mean, you probably would have had to, I know when I ran, um, you know, get your signatures and get in and get them all in it was it was very
1: interesting I I had enough people to to have the nomination when that opened it was a very very short window I mean that um, the Ritz opened on Wednesday and they were closed by Sunday at Mm. midday it was a very short window and you know I I found myself um, I had about eight or nine signatures lined up and then two of them weren't in Brisbane at the time so I'm running around and changing names and I I just scraped in at nine o'clock on Sunday (laughs) morning with the right amount um, so it was, yeah, that was a very stressful few days there.
0: <laughs> it's funny, like, uh, I'm not sure, you know, we'll talk about your experience as a, you know, as camp, as a campaigner, um, you know, but I'm sure it kind of feels like, you know, for a bit you announce and then, you know, things are fairly quiet and then suddenly it's like, bang, yep, it's like yep, <laughs> everyone's, um, it's, everyone's sprinting to the finish line.
1: I, I went to... <laughs> to me being the one to have to go out to community groups and, and be the first person to approach the contact. And, and now all of a sudden we're about two, three weeks out and they're all coming to me. And, and I'm getting all of the interest groups now that the, the polling has closed and the nominations have closed. You know, everyone's got that the contact details for those parties. So all of those interest groups are starting to come out of the woodwork and, and kind of push their agendas to all of the candidates.
0: Yeah, and I guess it's... Um you know, as the candidate yourself, it's a great opportunity just to to learn more about the area that you might not have known otherwise Mm. as well. So um, what are some of those, like you mentioned, the community groups? What are some of the community groups that you've kind of, you know, got in touch
1: with and had some discussions with? Yeah, so there's... um uh, a small policy that I'm, I've been working on is um, around community gardens. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a couple of really wonderful community gardens in, in the Miller electorate. Um, the, there's a great one here just up the roads um, from, from this church where we are at, uh, at graceful The graceful community gardens are, yeah. are fantastic. And um, uh, the Tarragindi community gardens as well that's just, just in the corner of the Wellers Hill Bowls Club. Um, and I, I got in touch with them initially um, to see if there was anything I could do, and, and reach out to them, and I've, I've started formulating a policy for um, for beekeeping because um, we realised there wasn't really anything in the area. You know, there are some amateur beekeepers, and there are some semi-professional businesses um, a, a bit further out. But for for a community garden to be able to have their plants pollinated and continue the the aspect without having to you know go back to a nursery and spend more money every time um is was actually something i found that they didn't have um so now i'm looking at that a policy where we can have a, a small grant for a community garden you know maybe a thousand dollars or so um they can build a little apiary and and get in touch with the beekeeping association and then that's you know the community garden can then have the bees there they can they can grow some yeah. honey themselves a bit more education for the the community as well on on beekeeping and how that works, and it's um, that policy really didn't come about until after I'd gone out and spoken to those people there.
0: And so, um, I guess that's also like a good opportunity. Then you bring in schools and stuff, and they can absolutely you know, educate. Yeah, on yeah. So
1: it's um, and you know as that followed on from that, I I started talking to. Um, uh, sustainability groups in, in, in community food and, and um, uh, they're called community farms um, mm. or sustainability gardens um, so I've, I'm now in the process of speaking with a group called Sustainability Food Australia and their policy is, is even more big picture um, they want to actually have um, school gardens um, so every school can have a fully functioning um, food garden that they can go out, the tuck shop can, can pick, they can make food for it, that, that you know, supply breakfast or lunch to, to the kids. It's, you know, the kids can learn about the gardening at the same time, and it's, mm. you know, that holistic picture that, that you really want to see about having that investment in the community and, uh, and learning about that kind of sustainable action is, is something that's, that's really important to me, but I didn't learn about it and didn't really kind of hear about it until I started reaching out. And um, that kind of thing I think is fantastic.
0: Uh, now, maybe just for people who are listening, who, you know, they might not have heard of your party, and obviously in this election, there's uh, well, there's twelve registered parties ca- competing, mm-hmm. and seven candidates in Miller. Yes. Um, could you give us maybe a couple of things that make the progressives kind of stand out as uh, different to, say, Labor, Greens, or the Libs? Like, what yeah. what are some of the key things that
1: make your party different? Yeah. So we we have six core values um, what we call the six E's of the party um, so the, the first three of them kind of uh, deal with how we look at policy and it's it's evidence based policy with ethics and empathy um, and that, that's a really core to us to the, the way we go about um, creating our policies and, and having the right kind of uh, mindset um, to, to policies for the community um, the second set of these um, is engagement empowerment and equality and that's really important to us because we, we want to have that engagement with the community. Um, and whatever community that is, that might be the, the farming community and going out to regional Australia. Um, you know, that, that might be um, like the schools community it's, it, for the, the farm program that I just spoke about. You know, it's, it's about actually going out and hearing the concerns. Because one of the biggest things that I hear um, when I'm out on the hustings in Miller is that people just aren't being listened to. And, and that's a really, really important thing.
0: Yeah, so... Oh, so those are
1: So they're, they're kind of the six core values, yeah. yeah. So, true. so you know, evidence, we always want to have our, our policies be backed by evidence. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're not an ideologically driven kind of party. Mm. Um, so, you know, you, you see some out there, you know, a classic one would probably be um, IMOP um, or the, the Informed Medical Opinions Party or it's the... They're colloquially known as the anti-vax party, um, and they they very much push that it's a health backed, um, or they claim it's a health backed party um, that you know they push against vaccination and they want um, they want to take away uh, mandatory vaccinations, um, and they, they see this push against Big Pharma is what they call it, um, but you know we, we see that's not actually backed by evidence, and you know we we see. If we were to go down that route, you know, come, you know, diseases like smallpox, like measles, that have been brought under control or even close to eliminated, you know, we would see a return to them, and and that's really something that we can't afford.
0: And I guess that then, you know, even if, um, that, actually, it's a great point that you make with like having the empathy as well, because if you've got something that is backed by
1: evidence, but perhaps. Is not very With pathetic. a bit of empathy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a really big one for us is refugee policy. Yeah. Um, doesn't really affect the state level. That's more of a federal issue. Um, mm. But we see it at the state level, um, particularly in Queensland. We've got the, the Kangaroo Point, um, the, the APODs, the alternative place of detention. So 120 people that have been locked in hotel rooms. They can't go outside the room at all. Um, they've been in, locked in that room for over a year now. And that follows on from up to seven years in detention and offshore processing. Um, and you know, the, the refugee policies that Australia has had for the past 10 years have completely lacked empathy. Um, and we, we completely stand against them. I'm, I'm about to, we're about to have our national conference with progressives. Um, Our current federal party platform is that we want to close offshore processing completely and at least move to onshore processing. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to go even further than that. I want to completely reframe the the debate and the talk about refugees. Um, It shouldn't be about detention because, you know, if you've been in detention for seven years now, it's not about processing your application. The applications can be processed in three months. It's, It's a purely... Ideological system at this point in time, and that's uh, it's a very lacking in empathy uh, from from top to bottom, and you know we we can see that now. It's I work in hospitality. The the hotel that I work for is a quarantine hotel, and you know we've had people that they've had to quarantine for fourteen days, and they're they're scratching the walls. (laughs) They're they're going crazy (laughs) after two weeks. Well, a lot of people who were
0: and. You know, just in isolation and in their own homes. Yeah, it's like it's it's a <laughs> massive issue, and
1: you know, we and we see a bit of the politicization around things like the lockdowns and the health-based response to COVID nineteen, and you know, talking about the suicide rates of lockdown and and how that's bad for everyone's mental health. But at the same time, they're not talking about the, the the kind of mental health implications for someone that's been locked in a room for over three hundred and sixty-five days. Yeah. And, you know, thousands and thousands of days um, on top of that. You know, they've got a family that was living in Australia, um, the the Biloela Tamil family. And, you know, Priya Nadas were established. They were given their visa. And for purely punitive, unempathetic reasons, they were ripped from that with a small child, two small children, and taken to offshore detention. Mm. And, you know, for four years now, that's been going on. And it's it's not right it's not decent and which it is a national shame for our parliament that they continue to push these ideals and you said something like that which probably links in with um
0: what you were saying about immigration as well (laughs) you know um people feeling like they're not consulted or i guess you know um perhaps like that situation's not well communicated from the government as to like what's going on so and that's something that kind of gets echoed a lot when i talk to people who are independent or minor parties about you know, people in the electorate don't feel like they're being heard why do you think that is like why do you think that there isn't as much consultation as there should be or hmm. you know people aren't told the frank truth as, as much as they should be yeah, there's there's a lot, <laughs>
1: lot that goes on behind the scenes in politics um and and you know i, I worked in five-star hotels um you know private dining rooms i've, I've served the kind of private dinners that go on that you see some of the, the, the behind-the-scenes work that gets done. And, uh, you know, for, for a lot of the major parties, for Labour and, and Liberal Party in particular, um, it's, for them, their policies don't always come from the people. They can do, they can listen to the people in some respects, but a lot of their policies are guided by their donors. Um, and you can see that as, as clear as day. Um, with a lot of the issues like coal mining, um, the The evidence around coal is that um, you know you can look at the health based evidence. You know the, the coal dust, the the destruction of environment. Um, that's a very important issue on its own. Um, but there's also the fact that it's a sunset industry. You know the entire world is moving away from coal. From an economic perspective, we need to be looking at alternatives now, and and we have those alternatives and things like green hydrogen um it's that's potential to be an export market just as big as gas is now um which is the second largest export market for australia and you know to to not be looking at these alternatives at all when it's going to be people's jobs and people's livelihoods that are going to be affected by this down the track if they don't do that you can kind of see where they're getting their policy from and you can look at that looking at the donations for the two major parties the. um in terms of gas, um, the Santos um, was a major donor to the Australian Labor Party, um, particularly in Queensland. And we saw that um, in February of this year, it, the news came out that Santos had been given a 10-year license for uh, for fracking exploration rights in the Lake Air Basin, um, which is one of the most pristine areas in, in the world, let alone Australia. Um, so you can, you know, getting the money out of politics is one of the main things that's going to get the community heard more.
0: I guess because um, you know if you are just getting donations you know, directly from the electorate, you've got to convince
1: them that you're the right, you're listening to them, that you're the right, Absolutely, the right yeah. team for them to get Absolutely. their money. Absolutely, so it's, you know, money is power in a lot yeah. of the ways. Um, and you know we can see that the Greens have had a, a very strong push against the, the cash for access meetings. Mm. Um, which they're, they're the exact same meetings that, that I'm referring to when I say I waited on them. Mm. And um, I, I completely agree with that. It's, you know, for a party to try and say that they're not influenced by someone that's actively giving them money to sustain their operation, I'd be very, very suspicious about their intentions.
0: Yeah, so um, let's talk about... If if you, you know, if you're lucky enough, enough to be elected, um, obviously... There's, there's going to be some things that come across that you might not have uh, expertise in. So you know, a lot of people that come on my podcast, like maybe they're a minister in a particular area or maybe you've got a particular skill set that you know you know these things very well, but you could get something that comes across that you don't have a um, inf- informed opinion about at the start. So how would you go about... Um, deciding whether you're going to support or not support particular pieces of the legislation. So
1: that's that's kind of where the evidence factor mm-hmm. in our core values really, really comes in. Um, and, and I saw that just recently um, in terms of uh, regional issues. Um, I, I sat in on a, politi- a party leader's debate for AgForce, um, which is their uh, uh, industry association for farmers, and... Um, And so there was a leader's debate for all the political parties. So I sat in as a leader of technically the the Australian Progressives for Queensland. And um, there were several questions. I'm I'm a city slicker. I'm not going to (laughs) pretend I'm from the country at all. I was born in Sydney. Um, So, you know, there were definitely areas where I I didn't have an expertise. Um, One of the main ones was for um, laws around uh, biosecurity. Um, So, you know, I, I can't talk about, you know, banana rust because I know nothing about that and and more importantly i also didn't pretend to i didn't make up some kind of waffle you no know, stick to a cheap talking point that that a staff has given me um before the interview um uh, i was you you'd be open and honest and say i don't know about this area i want to do more research and ag force has given me their entire policy platform to read about biosecurity and it's it, it's a big book but it's mm. you know i've I've committed to reading that and getting back and engaging with them um, on that kind of issue, and then not just with them, but with, with an alternative group as well. So mm. someone like the the Queensland Conservation Council, they're, they're going to have not necessarily an alternative viewpoint or an opposing viewpoint, but but a different kind of view to what the agricultural industry is going to have. So taking it from different areas is, is a very, very important part about getting the balance of evidence.
0: And I guess, you know, something that came in there too was you know the fact that you know city versus country which I guess comes up a lot particularly in Queensland because we've got a lot of North Queensland um, electorates as well and you never want to be like actually this is what we need to do because I'm from here and yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah. you can't be like I'm from the city therefore I know, I know best. Yeah. I'm know i from South Queensland therefore I know best
1: yeah. absolutely and you know this is the um, de- debate about things like, like dams and water security um you know, is, is a very, very good way to kind of look at that city-country divide. Mm. You know, but people in the southeast Queensland corner, kind of, uh, there are a lot of groups that say we don't need to build more dams, we don't want to see um, anything like that. But the people in regional Queensland, particularly the agricultural industry, say we do actually need more dams. And and you know, things like the Paradise Dam, it's become very heavily politicised um, kind of issue with around that dam just outside of Rockhampton. Yeah. Um, you know, there were, found, there were issues around the construction of that that have now been found out. And you've got Labour on one side saying they're going to lower the damn walls, and you've got the LNP and Cater Party on the other side saying, no, we should put money into fixing it and keep the walls at the height that they are. And, you know, for one of the big issues that Labour kind of gets hammered with a lot is that they don't care about the regions. Mm. Um, and people, you know, friends that I have, I've got friends that live out at Roma or even west of Roma, And every single person that they they say that they're friends with absolutely hate and, and actively use the term hate the Labor Party because they don't seem to engage with the regions in the right way or listen to them to their concerns. And, you know actually going out there and talking to the farmers and saying this is what you need i can understand the other side of the argument why someone wouldn't want to build a dam for the ecological damage to it Mm. but finding that balance point and that that engagement with the community is is absolutely vital to getting the right answer
0: and i suppose if you understand both you know sides even if you can't work towards a compromise at least you're showing that you willing to listen
1: yeah and that's i think that's something that's really missing in politics today we don't have that that conciliation kind of approach or that that you know meeting in the middle ground where we're going down this path that you you see american politics at the moment kind of has you've got that hyper partisanship that that red versus blue kind of there is no alternative i'm on my team then your team is is nothing but the worst kind of ideology um and I'm really, really worried that I'm starting to see that creep into Australia a bit. And we're, we're a lot more egalitarian, in my opinion, in Australia, and we're a lot more um, broadly opinionated. And, you know, the fact that we do have so many different parties I think is a testament to that in mm. Australia. And for for us to try and start moving down that path of hyper-partisanship I think is really, really dangerous and really, really, really worrying, in my opinion. I, I
0: suppose... Um like one thing that we we kind of, I guess, sets us apart still is the fact that we have the compulsory voting and compulsory preferential voting. So um, do you think that there's, you know, ever a chance that... Do do you reckon we'll head towards more, uh, like, coalition, as in not liberal national coalition, but, like, coalition group governments? Or do you reckon we're heading towards more, like, like red versus blue? Mm.
1: Um, I mean, with the parties in power at the moment, I see them wanting us to move to that, that red versus blue kind of um, uh, situation. Mm. I would love to see us move more towards like what New Zealand has currently, um, which uh, yeah. is the the proportional mm-hmm. representation. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, their,
0: um, their list system, list yeah. candidates, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's the gold standard for democracy. Um, and, you know, the the fact that they're able to have such a good communication with the, the Maori people as well and have mm. such a, a strong inclusion with their their First Nations um, culture and, and wind that into the actual national identity as much as they have um, is something that we're really sorely lacking in Australia.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll just say for people listening, because this is something that I only really learned when I started doing this podcast, is that in New Zealand there's eight Maori electorates and so... Um, you register to vote and you can you know, they've got an a member of parliament for their area that represents the indigenous people, which mm. is
1: pretty incredible. I, I think <laughs> it's fantastic. Um and I think it is something that we should look to emulate in Australia. Um we we had the um the issue I think it was last year or, or maybe the year before where we the there was a little bit debate around having a, an indigenous uh, chamber yeah. um, or a voice to Parliament, and you know that that kind of got uh, yelled down by by conservative um, politicians. Um, they they claimed that it was going to be another chamber that sat above the level of Parliament and and would you know have veto power over legislation and all that. And I I don't believe that that was the case. I think it was an advisory board almost that that spoke to indigenous issues, but the fact is at the moment we have nothing and and to have nothing and to have that complete silence around first nation issues is is really cutting those first nations people out of the discussion and and we see you know i'm i don't necessarily believe in in invasion day um and that kind of uh i'm not quite sure how to put it really that you know there's I the see. anti-colonialism yeah. you know it's uh, colonialism is definitely, has been a bad thing, um, particularly for certain sections of society, including First Nations people. Mm. Um, there has been a lot of, of pain and a lot of suffering that we do have to acknowledge um, that currently isn't being acknowledged at the moment. Um, but, you know, to, to completely cut First Nations people out and to have, to say to Indigenous communities that we're still, we're not going to let you have the tools to fix your own problems... Is, um still keeping that colonialist attitude yeah um, I believe and I think that is wrong yeah
0: it's a bit of the
1: um it's, we it's know it's best for you that yeah kind of it, thing. it's a bit yeah. of the white man savior um mm-hmm. which is you yeah. know we've we've had 200 years of this of, of you know it was only until the the 1967 re- referendum that indigenous people were people yeah <laughs> in, in political terms you and know that's you know, my, my parents are older than that.
0: Yeah, it's it's sometimes one of those things where, you know, when I talk to friends or even you know, some of my students and like the 60s weren't, wasn't that long ago, you know, like it's a very recent thing where we've, you know, we've made that decision.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, I recognise the fact that it is still a relatively new process, mm. um, but it's something that we, we should still be looking to tackle. And, you know, we're we just had a review of the Closing the Gap initiative. You know, it was a 30-year initiative that they only reached, what, I think it was two or three out of the seven yeah. outcomes for it. Um, but the reason for that was because we weren't engaging with Indigenous communities and saying, how do you want to fix your problems? You know, putting... Um, a, persons or a, a colonial kind of perspective on a first nations community isn't going to work because they work fundamentally differently they they don't operate in the same way that a western society does and to acknowledge that is a really important first step in actually being able to to work together
0: um now i'm just i wary of time because i don't want to keep you for your whole afternoon but um there's just probably a couple more questions that i'd really like to ask and so the first one's always um thing I always like to hear is like what you what you kind of want to leave behind so let's say you get elected um, and you get to spend a term or multiple terms in parliament um, what would you like to have what legacy would you hope to leave behind like how would how would either not just in Miller but maybe in the state or the country like what kind of what what change would you like to hopefully enact
1: um, I, I just want to see a more inclusive society um and you know a society that moves more towards caring about each other um where i'm very much about the the community and looking out for people in the community um you know things like uh, I, I definitely want to see a move towards a clean energy future and and you know having uh, moving away from fossil fuels towards that and and all of the other industries that are affected by that is definitely an important thing for me but you know, even more to that, I, I would love to see uh, more of a culturally inclusive community, um, particularly in Parliament. Um, for, for minorities, you know, there's so many people that come from, from culturally, culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds that are not represented in Parliament. Um, and, you know, I, I say that as a Caucasian man myself. <laughs> Um, but I'm, I'm aware of that fact and, and I really want to change that. You know, I, I, as much as I'd like to dream and see that, that the Queensland progressives are going to be uh, the, the majority force in government yeah. in 2024, <laughs> um, what I'd, I'd really like to see is actually having, um, you know, the, the first Australian of African descent in Queensland Parliament and and I'd love to see the Queensland progressives doing that. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd like to see... You know, we've we've got a wonderful situation where the the leader of the the Queensland Parliament and the leader of the Queensland Opposition are both women, mm-hmm. and that that's fantastic. I love that, and being able to move into having not just women being taken care of and and having, um, you know, a, a, a solid majority. You know, 50, women are fifty percent of the population. Why they're not fifty percent of the Parliament is beyond me. Um, getting that. That inclusivity and that activity in politics is is really an important way of actually moving us forward as a society.
0: Well, so I guess overall, it's um, you know making um, if there was a more diverse parliament at the end of your uh, political career, that job love job done. To see that. Absolutely. Um, now, yeah. for people who you know they they listened, they've listened to this, or they've seen you out waving by the side of the road, which. It's another fun experience that I, that <laughs> <Yes>. I remember. <laughs> um, uh, and they just want to know more um, about yourself and the party. How do they get in touch and um, get to know more?
1: Yeah, so we, we are definitely on, on Facebook and Twitter um, with our social media. Um, so for the state-based, if you, um, if you search Queensland Progressives, um, you'll come up with, with both of those. Um, for myself, I'm Edward Carroll, candidate for Miller is my Facebook handle um we also do have a website is progressives.org.au um, is the federal website and then um you just go progressives.org.au slash queensland um, and you'll come up with the state site there
0: oh awesome well um thanks so much for catching up i hope you enjoyed the conversation and uh best of luck at the end of the month
1: thank you thank you it's been a pleasure thank you so much